Dreamnasium. Hello, welcome Dimension. back to your Dreamnasium yeah. commentaries. I'm the co-writer, co-producer Jeffrey Bridges. Vast. And I am co all those things, Susan Bridges. And of course we are here again with Mr. Jeffrey Thorne. <laughs> am I a producer on this? I don't even know. I guess. Yes, yes you are. Executive producer? Whatever you want to be. I mean, we'll work that out. I don't know. <laughs> I'm the source material guy. This um, is our, our last uh, commentary and our last set of episodes for season one of this show. Yep. Weird. Here we are. Here we are. Oh, crap. We're Antiope. Antiope in black. <sighs> okay. Um, this one was directed by Paul Brueggemann. It has a lot of very heavy uh, sci-fi effects work, which is something that Paul really excels at, which is yes. why uh, we thought he'd be the perfect fit on this one. I was actually surprised you chose this one because of all of the bells and whistles that had to occur. I mean, not that I didn't want you to. But wow, you guys took a big bite. <laughs> <laughs> and this was uh, another one of the episodes where as soon as I read the story, I was like, oh, Barbara Dillon. Yep. She's our Flint. For sure. Yeah. All we the way. Her. She's great. Because she's amazing. She's great. And uh, Meldrick here is uh, Philip Weber, again, who was Liam and Farragut. Mm-hmm. Told you. He's like a genius. Yes. yes. And uh, But the, the filters uh, on, on Meldrick here, the, the wetness and the, the clicks yeah. and everything that Paul did. Uh, it was the first thing he worked on for this because he wanted to be sure that he got it right and so we had samples that we sent over to you to see what you thought. Yeah, um, yeah. So he's, he's a buggy alien and he sounds really a juicy weird. One. Really yeah. juicy. He's, his mandible Apparently going. he's dripping something. It's <laughs> disgusting. People are disgusted. And uh, one of the things that we had kept with Meldrick from the story into the script is how he sort of repeats the last word when he's done talking. Sure. And it was Paul's idea, uh, apparently, that he sort of like drops the um, pitch on it. It's a little bit lower when yeah. he says that. And it makes it sound more like a, not an intentional thing, but just like the way his voice box works. And That's I thought right. that was really cool. Yeah. Very uh, naturalistic alien sound. It's great. I mean, I just love this one. This, this one's a, uh, an early story that I wrote. I mean, some of the stuff in Dream Music now is at least a decade, more than a decade old. So, so to hear the sort of new life pushed into these stories by these, all of you people uh, is just, just a delight for me. Uh, hearing Meldrick talk at all is just awesome. <laughs> so this story... I'm uh, coming. Uh, like the uh, Dane Mortessor, this story began life as another kind of story. Uh, I wanted to, I was going to pitch uh, Star Trek book people. I, I have a deep affection for the Natasha Yar character. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I wanted to do something that sort of dealt with her life prior to being picked up by the Federation. There's a couple of lines in the first season about what life on her planet was yeah. like. Right. Uh, now that you say that, I can kind of see Super Mad slight, Maxi. Yeah. Very Mad Maxi. Um, Inspiration in there, like yeah. Way beyond Mad Max. Yeah. And uh, I was like, they've, we've never explored that. No one's ever explored that. Let Jeff do that. They didn't want to. So I was stuck with this like notion and what to do about it. And I had all these like very specific things I wanted to do. And like I say to all writers, uh, a lot of my friends when I write comics, my younger friends, all my life. They'll come up with these great stories for Batman or Daredevil, Batman or whoever, 
and the story's great, and it's usually such a really wide spin on the character that, yes, it fits, mm-hmm. but it's not something anyone else would have ever thought of. And I always say to them, why are you giving this to Marvel or DC or whatever? This doesn't have to be Ant-Man. This could be the bug, and then you own it. You know? Right. Yep. It's so different from the source, what, what we're calling the source, that it might as well not be. You could have been inspired by a statue to write this story, Right. So in the same way with these kind of things where you can't find a home, if you really want to tell the story, just file off the numbers, fill in the blanks that are left because usually what happens when you do a, a what they call a media tie-in novel, the only difference between that if you're a good writer and my idea of a good writer is a lot of the world-building work has been done for you because the source material exists, right? Normally when you make up a story, you have to do all of it. But if you go in and write Star Trek or House of Galactic or something like that, all of that Bible of the show, the world building. What are Klingons like? What's their planetary culture? You don't have to do any of that. It's already been done for you. So when you file off the numbers, you lose all that again, and it turns back into a story. So how do I tell the story that I want to tell without all the, the crutch of the Federation? So that's the Antiope. Antiope Flint is, she isn't Natasha Yar, but she began in the womb as Natasha Yar and evolved into this character. Very cool. Know what that is? We got Marty Brengle there as our Baba Yaga. Mm-hmm. It was found on a prisoner after Clan Miller. And I really love the um, the razor line idea. That whole oh my god, I think it's nasty. Yeah, it was like what kind of good weapon? Well, here's the thing too with the female female combatants in these type of things. I don't know if anyone I did. I liked Atomic Blonde with Charlize Theron. Um, one of the two, we wish we were making the Black Widow, but no one would let us know these. Um, but Charlize is six feet tall. Um, a six foot woman is not exactly the same as a six foot man, but she's as good as many of a six foot man. So there's a lot of crap she can do in a fight that a five foot woman, I don't care how skilled she is, she'd better end that fight fast because all a guy really has to do is get a serious grip on you and you're, it's over, right? So you need a weapon, a knife or a gun or my favorite is actually Malaysian uh, stick fighting. I love that. I think it's Malaysian. Um, but uh, in the future, what would that be? And it would have to be something invisible that wouldn't be apparent. Like, what is it? And also be something so deadly that you wouldn't even think anyone, much less a young girl, would become proficient with. I don't remember if you guys did this, but in the story, there's this one, there's like a three minds, which says, how did she get good with the wire? She started with rope. Then she moved on to chains. Then she moved on to barbed wire. Like how to use this weapon because the weapon itself is essentially invisible, right? And it's a it's a it's a monofilament that can cut through anything. So if you make the wrong turn, you cut through yourself. So I pictured if you're filming this, God would please let me film this someday. If you ever saw the way um, what's the character in Fire Killer Oh right, Raid. Yeah. River? River. River. River Tam. Yeah. The way she moves, because the actress is actually a dancer, is is a is a is a funk in a clunkier way than when I pictured a way in order to do this fighting that she does. She would look more like a Chinese ribbon dancer when she was fighting, but your neck would suddenly have this monofilament go through it. Right. And no more head. And so you don't want to mess with Antiope Flint. The problem is if you have a distance weapon and you know what she's doing, you just shoot her. Right. So she can't just be out there doing this to people because all you got to do is stand back about 30 feet and go, 
zap, and she's right. done. That's why she's in hiding when you meet her, because she, it has to be only quick in-and-out type fighting. Uh, but it makes her someone you don't want to mess with, because in close quarters, you're done. So That was, uh, I think, a great quality, too, that, that Barbara brought in, is that you can really feel like the, the cold edge under her voice, how yeah. hardened she's had to make herself to survive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She really brought that through. And again, with this sort of layering of backstory type thing, we mentioned her brother Cabinus. Uh, he never appears in a story, but he's a prime motivator yes. for why she is the way she is. And everything she does in the story is all about him. So you can picture if she's this hard, he must be softer, right? He's the one that needed protecting. Someone had to do it. And this is a young lady who can't be older than at most 15, right? Who had to step up in this world. And all of a sudden, you're off to the races. It almost writes itself, it was insane, right? Like, so there's a twist, obviously, at the end, but you could tell a billion anti-happy Flint stories. Like, there's a whole bunch of stories to tell before this one. This and like I'd love to. Yeah, this is, this is the last anti-happy Flint story, right? Because when you see, if you ever were to see her again, she'd be clean of all this. She'd have grown up. She'd be, what did I say at the end? It takes like, it's going to be another five to ten years before they can actually do this. I think so, yeah. So she's going to be in her 20s. So all of this will have become just a part of her backstory by then. But this version of Flint, the feral, don't screw with me or I'll take off your head or your limbs, Flint, yeah, I can write. I can write her for weeks. Like, she's great. This bit um, was something we had to add because we felt like with her walking into the hollow, but she was alone, we couldn't give her anyone to talk to because right. she was not taking Meldrick. She had to go alone. So we thought, uh, but she can't just talk to herself because a lot of times that comes off kind of hokey. Yeah. Or, yeah. So we thought of this idea that Baba, to placate her, gave her this recorder that maybe it's not even working. It's probably not, knowing Baba. But Flint thinks it might be, and she, you know, every, like you said, she's motivated by everything, by Cadmus. And so she's just talking to him because she hasn't seen him in who knows how long. And so, yeah. yeah I thought you guys through. do a good job with that. That was the thing I noticed in the first story, and very much so in this, with this, this, this little MacGuffin you guys added in, which is absolutely not in the story. Because it doesn't need to be. In, right. In, you can be in her head in the story. Yeah. Um, but this sort of underpinning of persona, personal connection, family or love connection, that is this, definitely the theme and in the center of the story, but isn't explicitly stated. And you did it very well, I thought, to the point where I was like, I need to turn off Twilight because it's, it's like I'm welling up listening to this story that I wrote, the, ver the first version of it. And in the same way with this thing with Cadmus, where she's talking to this little brother that she doesn't even get to see. It was a very nice uh, uh, set piece you guys added, or whatever you call it, um, to, to let us have a window into her head without it seeming, as you say, hokey. Right. But also keeps reinforcing the fact that this is about Cadmus. Like, the lever that Baba has over her is that I'm protecting your brother for you, and I could stop at any time. Literally any time. I'm not going to, but I could. You know, it's beautiful. And Barbara's voice is literally like when you guys said you were thinking, I was like, ah, stop thinking. That's what we want. Get her. Do it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. She's great. And this is well, another one of those spots where it's this one actually is like a really long monologue. And so you have to have somebody who can really pull that off and not just be flat, but really emote her way through it as if it's just a natural I'm talking to my brother because I care about him and I haven't seen him in forever and I don't even know what to say to him because it's been so long and I can't remember how old he is now. And 
Yeah, she's just really, really good. I don't mind the dark. It saved our lives more times than. And she doesn't know if she'll ever see him again. So. Right. And even that, in a weird way, is worth it as long as he knows for sure if she could know that he's, he's safe. safe. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even know if I would ever want to tell a cat this story, but I would love to tell an Antiope saves Cadmus story. That'd be great. Like, ugh. I love these young women that can murder people. I don't know what's wrong with them. <laughs> Well, I think it's great. I support this. More than you or I or Baba Yaga will ever be. Did you hear that? This was a, another great bit, um, again, that Paul did here with the, the critters. That This was uh, from your story. They said they sounded like rocks skidding as they as they approached. And so we're like, that's a really great audio cue that was written into the story. we got to use that. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. And so, yeah, you hear those those rocks skidding, and that's like their, I guess, many, many legs clacking along as they come in. and It's very creepy. The growls all over. Yeah. And the great thing, too, is uh, when she starts using the razor line to, to cut them up, you can hear their juicy bits falling as she... <laughs> like slices through them you can hear them thudding on the ground yeah. they're, they're, they're bits falling off of them and so you did a great job really using the stereo field too to move them all over once they start hurting her toward the end no secret i don't know what to call this other than monster Face little more than an excuse for row upon row of jagged teeth. I remember Paul asked uh, after we did this, we had a picture of the monsters. He wanted to know what they looked like. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, no, we don't. But then you drew one, and that picture with Antiope, there was a little bit of it in the background. Yeah. He was so excited. That's so crazy. <laughs> he was like, that's great. I mean, they were like cat wolf, thing, wolf bug things with six eyes <laughs> and lots of teeth. They're monsters. Yeah, that's I mean, you could go with the things from Attack the Block and be fine. You know, it really just there to be monsters. Also, this story is based on Little Red Riding Hood. Like, if you take what actually happens, she's given a bundle, she's still going to go in the woods and deliver the bundle to a place you'll know when you get there. <laughs> you never realized that. Yeah. I mean, I'm goofy. Whatever. They're working in twos. I don't know. We'll have to find out when we uh, talk to Paul in the director roundtable. But uh, my, my gut is telling me that the growls are Paul. Because he's done stuff like that before oh. when he used to direct seminar. When we needed monsters sometimes, he, he would growl it and, and modify it. Modify up, whatever yeah. way. So I feel like that might be a little bit of Paul in there. Ah, okay. Letting his inner monster out. <laughs> we'll ask him. fires burning on Terra Nova 3, but not like this. It's directed like a path. Down the way to... There it is. Right where Baba Yaga said it would be. It's beautiful. Dang it! Now we're just listening to Barbara. She's great. And unbroken. And I thought it was a really nice uh, thing, too, that she has never seen this, like, clean working technology before, so it's totally foreign to her. Completely foreign. Because right? tech doesn't work on their world, so... Right. Looks like a door at one end, windows at the other. Some right, she she lives in that weird sort of if Mad Max happened in Star Trek world, no, no, right? No, I just got so, here. place that used to be really super high tech and almost a paradise has become just hell. And it's been like that since, at the very least, since she was couldn't have been long, couldn't have been shorter than fifteen years. Right, right. let's put it like that. So whatever it is, it's entrenched. It's not like it just happened. Right. And it's all she's ever known. It's all right. her life or most of it. She has she no can concept of right. a life that isn't this. Right, 
Dreamnasium. Function. Noun. A vast, extra-dimensional space described by benign... Now, what's interesting is that this, um, of this is the only episode, uh, story through the entire season that something is non-linear. Right. And, and we, we were, talked about this a lot. We were able to pull it off because opening with uh, Cranzetti and Theta on the ship, and then when they get to the world and you hear when they, friend, uh, not Cranzetti, no. I think it's Jack. It's not Cranzetti. He's um, <laughs> Maddox. Charlie That's Maddox. his name. Charlie it's the same Maddox. actor, Jack. Sorry. Okay, Charlie. When Charlie and Theta get to the, uh, the planet and they meet Flint, you hear the exact end of the first episode outside the shuttle. And so we felt that would clue oh, the audience nice. in enough so that this part happens before Flint gets there because then that's when this, the stories sync up and we right hope, as they land. We hope it worked. You know what? <laughs> it, it doesn't worked. even matter if it worked consciously because what I felt like was it was a, there was a time shift there of some kind, right? Um, and remember, these stories, some of them are very old from my point of view. Like I wrote them so long ago that a lot of it is like, oh, wow, I've, oh, yeah, that's what happens. Like that kind of thing. So that's what I felt listening, like, and I don't know if that's because I had residual memory or because you guys just did, did it right. Right. We, we didn't want to cut this scene in earlier and sort of like go back and forth between them because we felt if you were getting these other characters on the ship, it was too. It was going to be too obvious that someone was going to get through to Flint and down right. there. We didn't want to blow that surprise. Right. So we thought it was best to do it this way. Nice. And so then we have... Um, oh, there we go. It's been 40 years hours. since well, not, the shift. Right. Do constructs always have to be so precise? No reason not to. So yes, that is Jack Hulk as Charlie Maddock, not Cranzetti, who he played in Dame. I'm getting all the roles confused. And uh, Shane Nolan as Theta. Which, um, she wasn't sure how to play the role. She asked, she's like, is she an android? And we're like, well, no, she's a clone, but she's a little more stilted and yeah. formal than a regular person. That's right. So she's grown, she's grown, quick grown to adulthood, force-fed data. So her right. brain's filled with stuff, but she could only. I didn't go this far with it with Theta, certainly, but uh, she might only be three years old officially, like, but look like a grown woman. Have all the, you know, the stuff right. of a, you know, physically she's grown, and even technically, even consciously, is mostly mature, but just completely like she has no social skills. Right. Right. Like she's she's never been enculturated in a way, so she's literally a clean slate. Surrounding the planet, is it permanent? Negative. There's no way to know. That's Pete Milan again. Yep. Commander Hughes. This guy's insane. But I could likely pilot a smaller, more nimble craft through the ripples and land on the surface. All right. You'll launch and drop skip Utnapishtim in ten minutes. Yeah, that that name of their drop skip is a mouthful. Yes. But it relates to the name of their ship, the Gilgamesh. That's correct. Right? So that's why we picked it. Yeah, uh, we were like, it, they need some kind of a name. And so, but boy, boy, is it a mouthful. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to say it. That's your own fault. I have no sympathy. Yeah, we shouldn't have done that. Nobody told you to do that. We're like, well, if it needed a name, we should tie it into the name of the main ship somehow. And this is another really great bit that uh, Paul did here is their ship is sort of careening out of control <laughs> through the forest. Did you hear it come? There it is. Gilgamesh, this is the Udamishtim. Do you copy? 
It seems the magnetic barrier is still strong enough to block communication. See, it is all cut. Yeah, <laughs> just isn't. I outrank you, adjunct. Oh, you don't say, sir. <laughs> it's a good kind of juxtaposition you want with characters stuck in a scene together, though, where you've got one who's wide-eyed and freaking out, and the other who's like, yeah, whatever. They play off each other really well. Unfortunately, Definitely. due to the unforeseen difficulty in executing a precise landing. And so that's a little a subtle clue there that hopefully folks picked up on, but their exhaust burning the forest on the way in and in the last episode when Flint said looks like something burned its way through here. Right. That's how you're you're seeing them start to sync up. I think they'll catch it. And the fact that these are a week apart, there's a real time gap. So what we don't realize is you're going back rather than forward. Right. So that's good. Contact you the moment something changes. I'll have the communicator on my person as per regulations, but it's unlikely they will function with the magnetic interference. So I just wait here? What if the magnetosphere changes and I can't get hold of you? If Welcome to your great space job. Sit around and wait. <laughs> <laughs> You're the young one, that's what you get to do. Do you understand? Aye, sir. Skip control. Open rear portal. Open in rear portal. Confirmed. There's Joe J. Thomas again as our skip control. Another little known fact about the Red Riding Hood of it all. Oh. The woodsmen. What do woodsmen use? They use a an axe of a kind. Uh, kind of a pickaxe type thing when they're out in the woods. Right. What does the word Matic mean? Charlie Matic. Again, too clever. Way too clever. You're sneaky. It's an awful young man is what I want. <laughs> this is such an annoying, annoying young man. Ugh. That's great, though. I love little details like that. All my stories are like that, so... Well, rephrase that. Until about ten years ago, all of my stories were like that. <laughs> then I stopped being an idiot. How long has it been since Theta left? Theta disembarked the Atmapishtim three days, four hours, sixteen minutes ago. And the ripples and the interferences are still closing. He's such an exciting young upstart. Now he's been sitting in a shuttle for three days. Long until our window through the magnetic. Like I'm dying of boredom. And this is right where now, if you you go back to the the first episode of Antiope and Black and listen. The, all the sound effects outside of Flint fighting the monsters, it's exactly the same. It's just the exact same audio muffled outside the wall, so you can hear that this is where it's syncing up. Right. Maddox in there listening right as it's happening and opens the door and saves her. This is one of the, the rare episodes um, that came in shorter than we thought it would. When you look at the script, most episodes come in. It's about a page a script, which is yeah. why we use screenplay use, format, because it works about right. that way, even with the audio. But this one came in like two to three minutes shorter than we would have expected. And we were just like, I wonder why that happened. <laughs> even Paul didn't understand. He's like, it's shorter than I thought it would be. Why? The thing. I, we don't know. It's just it weird. just came in that way. Something about it somewhere. Mm -hmm. Holy crap, Game of Thrones starts tonight. 
Oh. <laughs> I know. Well, now people know when we've recorded the commentary. No, take it out. <laughs> Don't take it out. Who cares? Music's great. She's coming around. It's a very nice choice. Glad to see it pulled through. Charlie? What? Oh, in this scene, we have uh, Jesse Morris Brogroom, our rocky alien doctor, which is just great. That's Dr. Brogroom. She saved you. Brothers Grimm? What? Oh, my God. What's wrong with that kid? How did I not pick up on any of it? Brogrim. I want you in my chat. I was an ass. What an ass. Where am I? You are in the medical crash of the slideship Gilgamesh, young lady. You've had an ordeal, but your wounds are mostly healed. You'll be right as cake in no time. Rain, Doc. Right as rain. It doesn't rain on El Ombar, Charlie. But you have plenty of cake, apparently. Oh, yes. Lovely sulfur and malachite confectioners that leak to congeal. <laughs> they eat sulfur cakes. Do they, like, put a weird filter on her voice? Yes. Just... To make it all deep and... I mean, she's supposed her... to be giant and rock. Yeah, see, it's like the thing, only female, but... What I love is her voice. Oh, you're right. We did make awesome cakes. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was awesome. You guys don't even know how awesome they are, you stupid human. No, I want one. Jesse's a wonderful actor. I don't understand. You don't know, do you? You don't know what you were carrying. I really think that um, in this scene, especially, Barbara did such a great job. You can feel. Flint's walls sort of breaking down as she learns the truth of what happened, and it just kind of breaks her. And it's just, it's like heart-wrenching, but she just, she just did so good. Because, I mean, you know, she had to be so hard and so closed off from everything for so long, and then finally she just can't. She's not going to see him for as long as she's been alive or, you know. Right, or, or, yeah, almost another, another life. Right. So it just it and that's just if you destroys live. her. Right? We don't know. Can't get back? Not today. No. Thanks to you, we will soon. Well, you and the Brooks. We call them communicators. Uh, the one you had belongs to Theta. Ms. Yazbek uploaded her calculations into it. Uh, they're predicting that Terra Nova 3 is going to run through other shifting again, but back to normal this time. So, five years, ten tops, we'll be able to go back down to Earth. Five or ten years? Ten more years of battle, death, and anguish? Ten more years of the clans? Ten more years of Baba Yaga. Ten more years until it's too good. She's giving me goosebumps, and I've heard it like a hundred mm-hmm. times. She breaks my heart. No, that wasn't the deal. I need to see him again. I—he's my brother. That wasn't the deal. <laughs> Stop it. Sad. But you know what? It's a good downbeat, right? Like mm-hmm. she gets, she gets out. It's a heroic fight. She does everything right, and life isn't exactly clean like that. Yeah. Yep. And this ending bit, too. Bob is not a monster. Right. She's just hard. Anymore. Mm-hmm. It's up there, but not for long. Goodbye, anxiety. You lied to her. I mean, it's an interesting character because, you know, she doesn't necessarily want to do these things, but she knows what she has to do to save everybody, to get it. Yeah. Up there, and so she's the only person who really gets it, right? And so, like, if you told the story of Baba Yaga, 
she says it explicitly here. Uh, I don't care how long this takes. I'm doing what I signed up to do, which is to protect the population of this colony right. and get us out of this mess whatever way I can, which means I've had to do some pretty awful stuff. Mm-hmm. Not the least of which is enlisting this child to do some pretty awful stuff. Right, and forging her into the This the weapon I need it to be. Yeah. Um, so if you told it from Antiope's point of view, Baba's a monster. But if you tell it from an adult point of view, she's a person with a lot of bad decisions and had to choose the least awful one. Right, right. You know? Um, there's a story in here. There's a larger, you know, Terra Nova Primus story yeah. in here. Uh, I probably will never write such a story, but it was not a bad basis for a show if one wanted to tell it, or more Antiope Flint stories if one wanted to tell them. Um, they're great characters. And they have, they clearly were meant to have a future. Jeffrey Thorne's Dreamnasium, episode eight. Well, there we are. We are at the end of the season. You've heard all eight episodes. Wow. Thanks for listening to all that. Wow. It's Thank a you. lot. Thank you, guys. I, I am... I, I obviously expected it to be good, but I didn't expect it to touch me. I expected it to be sort of like when you watch home movies. Like, oh, I remember that. That was great. And it's the opposite of that. It was like going to see like The Wrath of Khan the fourth time, loving it again. You know, like, and these stories are, what do you call it? Um, they're old for me, and they're some of the first ones I wrote as a pro. Like the first ones I sold in reading them. And to hear them sort of realize this way is just, it's, 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 it's a great experience. You guys, thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for asking us to do it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And please, please leave us a rating and a review and tell your friends. Stars! Stars on iTunes! I demand them! Please! And uh, in the future, we will have the uh, director roundtable with all of our directors from the show talking about their great work. So look forward to that. And thank you all again. Thank you! Bye-bye!